Hey, how you doing? It's Mark Knight from Mark Knight and the Unsung Heroes in Bang Tango. You're listening to Joe and Nick on the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Coffee Show with Joe and Nick, episode 28. Tonight's guest, Mark Gus Scott, drummer from the band Trickster. You know, I didn't know they were so big at the time. They had uh, three million albums sold worldwide, three number one videos on MTV, and their album was uh, number 26 on Billboard charts. Yeah, I mean they were a pretty big band. I mean for I mean right out, out yeah. right out of the gate, you know, with their first album like that, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean they were they were a big band. For those of you that are listening that aren't aware of Trickster, um check them out. Definitely check them out if you're into that melodic rock genre. I think you'll dig them. So we're going to talk to Mark tonight um about all kinds of things. Cool. Let's give him a call. Hello. What's up, buddy? Joe. <laughs> Mark, what what's going on? What are you doing, man? I was waiting for you. Oh, I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't realize that the text was going to be like a check, check, whatever. I, I, I get, I have my notifications turned off on text because it buzzes all day. Oh, but, shit. Uh, yeah, sitting here, you know, yeah. watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick and I are sitting here like, well, I, I don't know if he's going to call. I'm really sorry. Yeah, I'm just That's sitting right. around, man. That's all right. I'll, I'll send you the. You're only fined five hundred dollars, so I'll send that. To you oh, my apologies. How you doing? I'm good, babe. Good, good, good. You having your coffee there? You gonna be up all night? I am. That's how I always do it. Oh, you're so funny. Nick Nick doesn't drink coffee though. Uh, I'm drinking some ice iced tea tonight. So you doing good, uh, Nick? What's that? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What's up, Mark? Oh, my God. Everybody's a little off-kilter tonight. <laughs> you need some Red Bull in that coffee. Nick and I were uh, debating what time it was in Arizona, thinking maybe we got the times missed, missed, uh, mixed up. Well, I'm, I'm all good. I'm, dude, I'm, 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 I'm freaking up anytime. <laughs> you know what? I'm not, up, I'm not up early in the morning. You're not an I'm early bird? No, that's, well, that's what time I go to bed. <laughs> Man, I, I'm an early bird. I get up at 4.30 in the morning every day. That's crazy. So, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you, you and I, no, we're, we're, we can't. We have a very narrow involvement <laughs> in which we can hang out. <laughs> oh man. So uh, how are how have you been? I tell you, I've been a busy boy. Uh, more recently, you know, it's funny. Uh, I had I had some real strong plans at the beginning of the year. I had a new single come out, "Give It to Me Good," celebrating the 30th anniversary of Trickster's debut uh, single. And uh, I tell you what, it, it started to ramp up real nice, got a lot of interest, and then supposed to film a video, and then COVID-19 COVID. screwed me good. Man, that's yeah. screwed, that's man, screwed everybody good. 
yeah, you know what? I could make a different video or something like that. I said, nope, nope, nope. I got to make a live video. Has to be a live video. I'm stuck in this idea. I mean, I'm coming out with this new thing, and this quote unquote band I'm putting together is not just a four or five piece thing. I'm looking to do a production, and there's gonna there's gonna be the better part of 15 people on stage. It's a little crazy. It's a little weird, and it hasn't really been done quite like this. So really. Promote the image, promote the image, for people to really see what's going on, what this is all about. It has to be done in a certain fashion. That's what I wanted the video to really be all about. So I'm stuck in this mentality. And maybe I'm hurting myself by doing that. But I tell you what, I really have a very clear vision of what I want this to be. And I think when people see what's going on here, they're going to see something special. They're going to see something that haven't you know, seen before. And it's going to have some value. It's going to make an impact. And I feel I have to make it just like that or else it's killing me. So I'm playing the waiting game. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's best to uh, do it the way you want to do it and get it right, though, I would think. Exactly right. Exactly right. Because in the end, if you don't do it that way, you're not going to be happy with it. That bingo. See, that that that's pretty much it. Maybe it's even hard for me to put into words sometimes. And with a mouth like mine, it sounds kind of kind of hard even to, to say that one phrase. But man, this yeah, this is a different kind of thing. This is not your typical rock and roll band. It certainly is not. And uh, I've I've got it mapped out pretty pretty clearly and i cannot deviate from that i really can't and i truly believe when people see it they're gonna go oh this guy's crazy so yeah. <laughs> i think it's gonna have a a really cool impact a really cool effect gotta well, do it right well good good um we're gonna get into a lot of stuff um talking to you but uh i want to get started with um you and your um circumcision I mean, yeah. yeah yeah so uh yeah <laughs> you okay joe no uh, tell me about when you first got that music bug you know well I, I guess my mother started me off on piano a long time ago but when you say got that music bug that means what really stimulated me to want to do yes. something you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, I had an interest in playing drums a long time ago. My grandmother brought, bought me this parade drum, and I used to walk around that neighborhood beating the crap out of it, like, you know, the scene of the three guys for the bicentennial whatnot, one guy playing the fife, one guy playing the yeah. drum, and one guy carrying the flag. Well, I was the guy banging the drum. And I used to do that with my friends. We were the three guys. We walked around the, the, the my little cul-de-sac doing that uh and then my at the same time my mother gave me uh my first lp which was her lp it was elvis's golden hits and that's how i learned about rock and roll it was elvis presley was the first thing that i really heard that had that you know that that thing my parents didn't really listen to music in the car my father listened to talk radio in the news Hmm. you know like w-i-n-s like new york freaking news radio so uh when it came to music it was you know i I was very isolated so when she gave me that it kind of gave me a glimpse as to what was going on and from there it went to the grease soundtrack that's an (laughs) awesome soundtrack (laughs) Uh, now yeah i loved it you know i really did but I didn't, at the same time, all my friends were listening to Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin. And then my one buddy showed me a Kiss record, Kiss Alive 2. Now, to me, I went to a private school. They really didn't, you know, my parents didn't didn't really teach me what rock and roll was. And I guess I was, you know, kind of cut off from that. But I had this one buddy who had an older sister. 
And he said, dude, check this out. Now, the Kiss Alive 2 album, when you open it up, was a picture of them on stage, up on risers, fire shooting up in the air with lights and Gene Simmons and, you know, spitting blood and all that crap. It was like, whoa. I still have that record. Yeah, man. And the first song that made the biggest impact on me, I remember it put it on Calling Dr. Love. And when I heard that, it was like, oh, dude, that's you know, that, I remember hearing the cowbell with the guitar riff and then the snare drum blasting my head out. I was like, all right, this, you know, that I, I saw something that I needed to be a part of, something that really touched me. So getting the bug, yeah, that's probably right where I got bit. You know what I mean? Right. Right. When I heard that song and uh, listening to that and learning, uh, then hearing Zeppelin, hearing Black Sabbath, then hearing, uh, you know, I guess a lot of stuff, but then, it, then I heard, found Van Halen. When I saw MTV came to town and they played the videos, but when I saw the live Van Halen videos that were out the first one of the first videos on MTV, so this is Love and Unchained. Those two live videos from the Oakland Coliseum knocked me the frig out, man. Oh my god, it was so inspirational when I saw Alex Van Halen beating the living crap out of that huge drum set and the sound of that snare drum. It was so walloping. It was like. Oh, it was just, it was an explosion every time he nailed it. I saw that and I said, that, that. I'm like, they, they, I couldn't be a clearer picture. That's what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, right around that time, I saw my first concert, Metal Ads Arena, Foreigner 4 concert. And I heard what a bass drum did in an <laughs> arena. And when I heard that for the first time, I thought about the Van Halen thing. And I was like, it's all starting to come together. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, this right here, this this is really the only thing I freaking care about. Did, did you have a full kit yet or no? <sighs> Just started to learn right around that time. That's what drew me really to learn to play drum set. And I had a buddy in middle school, Serino Baum. Great kid. He was like an all-state New Jersey player. He had wrists light like lightning. He was amazing. So uh, he taught me. To, he started to teach me to play drums on the side. And I'd come over to his house and beat the crap out of his kid. You know? <laughs> so I used to drive him a little crazy, but he knew I loved it. And he really helped me. And uh, we were actually in a band together, Vito and the Paramus Rockers. I played trumpet, but he knew I loved the drums. I'd watch him, then I'd play the drums. You know, get me on, I'd fool around. I was I was probably a complete nut playing pain in the ass, though. But he was like so cool. And uh, he was a fantastic drummer. So he really helped me a lot. Then I started formal lessons with a number of different teachers. Got my own drum set at 13, and I was on my way, man. <laughs> nice. So Van yeah. Halen. Nick, you're a huge Van Halen fan, right? Oh, yeah. I know the videos he's, he's talking about. Yeah. That's what got me started, too. Yeah. Just watch yeah. seeing, those, seeing those two videos. Yeah, back then, man. I mean, yeah. it was John Cougar hurt so good, and Jack right, and, Don, yeah. man. and then Van Halen unchained, kicking <laughs> the crap out of you. you. You know what I mean? It was such a sharp contrast to just good old rock and roll. It was kicking your ass, you know. Oh, that yeah. was something that lit a fire under me. And like, oh come on, man! It may, you know, either you loved it or you hated it. I don't think there was any in between. It was, it, there's no way you could just sit there and listen to that stuff or watch the video and go. That was all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. I mean, come on. There was just no way, you know, and I guess it just really resonated with me and, and truly provided a vision to me as something that I said, you know, 
Oh, what do you want to do in life? Oh, I guess I'll be a doctor. Oh, I guess I'll do this. Now, screw that, dude. I'm going to be a goddamn rock star. You know, that's what I want to do. Yeah, you knew it. I want to, that's what I want to do and get the hell out of my way. <laughs> now, when you, you were growing up, you were, um, were you classically trained on piano? I actually was, yeah. That, you know, that's funny because I told my mom I want to play drums. She's like, well, if you're going to play music, you're going to learn the right way and you're going to start with classical piano. It's the foundation of music. And I was like, uh, you know, so I did what my mom told me, you know, and it's funny because now I wish to God I didn't blow off piano lessons so much when I was right. good because I could, you know, because now I could really value it. But well, you don't seven, know that. Eight years yeah. old, right. You don't want to hear about Chopin when you're seven. You know, you could give a crap. Yeah. But, uh, man, I can't tell you how it truly did provide that foundation. Uh, I also started playing trumpet. I was an all-state player in Jersey. I got a scholarship to the University of Hartford, Hart School of Music, through the National Association of Jazz Educators, stuff like that. I went to, co I went to college when I was a sophomore in high school. Just when I finished my sophomore year in high school, I actually went summer sessions to the University of Hartford and uh, got college credit from my uh Summer session after a sophomore, junior, and senior year of high school, I got college credit. So uh, that was really cool. Recorded three double albums of uh, classical music at the University nice. of Hartford. It was freaking awesome. You know, playing with a, a caliber of musicianship when I was 16, that right. was like off the chart. It was like such a huge experience. And to learn from the faculty at the college was like, oh, my God, you learn, you play. I played all damn day, man. You know, it was like it was going to boot camp, but yeah. it was awesome. You know, it was really oh God, just playing with that level of musicianship was it, it was it was it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. You did, know, did you go from that into Trickster or what happened I was in between in Trickster? Let's see. I joined Trickster when I was six. Well, I got in when I was 16. I remember playing the first show. I actually drove my car to unload the drums. So I just turned 17. Uh, that was 85, I guess, you know, on uh, the first show, I think it was 84, 85. So uh, how old am I? So I was <laughs> born in 68 Do the math. I was 17. Uh -huh. Just got, just, so yeah, I was, I, uh, my birthday may be the first show in like June or July. Uh, so when I was 17, just turned 17. Uh, and man, that was, that was nuts. That was the Paramus public library band shell was it was an outdoor show oh man it, i tell you one that's one thing we learned about communication when you had a show you wanted to tell people about it in school everybody knew it by the end of the day you know yeah, what i mean yeah. that was the internet back then dude oh, getting yeah. out making a flyer either going to the malls or going to school and start handing out flyers they do we got a show we got a show we got a show you know and everybody it, that was the buzz man that's how we made it happen. You know, we didn't take out ads. Right. <laughs> we made flyers in graphics class. So we had that homework assignments. We made the flyers. We made T-shirts. We made the inserts for our cassette all in school. Well, you can't get any better was, than that. Exactly. It was great. You know, so it served two purposes, getting the, the grades in class. And then we actually reaped the benefits from ourselves. By you know, that's what we want to do, and that used it as a source of promotion and sold the t-shirts and sold the cassettes and crap like that. It was freaking the greatest thing in the world. Right. You know, we looked at school a little different. I mean, of course, we didn't want to go to math class, you know, but well, yeah. <laughs> who did? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we, we we were in high school, so we were active students when we started putting this together. We started playing gigs, 
you know? Yeah. Shoot, I mean, uh, I, I remember Steve <laughs> the year before he signed her. You know, he, he was a senior in high school, and we did a club night night before. He had to go to school the next day. <laughs> We'd, like, go show up to take him to lunch or something. He's like, dude, I'm so tired. <laughs> you know? It's right. like, he's, he's like a senior. He just played a gig last night at a freaking real club that he wasn't even supposed to be in because he's too young. You know, it was, like, so hysterical. You know, funny stuff. Yeah, I but, remember uh, when you guys first came onto the scene, there was a lot of talk about how young, young you guys were. I mean, wasn't PJ still in school when you PJ were recording? PJ was even younger. Uh, he was, Pete, Steve, and I went to Paramus High School in Paramus, New Jersey. And PJ was uh, about 15 minutes away in Ridgefield. Now, when we found that, he was 15 years old, I think, when he joined the band. Uh, signed a recording contract when he was 16. It came out when he was 17. Something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Well, his birthday was in June. So technically, I guess when he graduated, he was 18, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but he joined the band, I think six. I think we first went when he was 15, got in the band at 16, signed at 17. And then the album came out when he was 18. I mean, how stupid is that? He wrote, he went to California to record the first record. <laughs> he had to get a leave of absence from school and he had to do some tests that there whatever some work, you know, essays and all that baloney. But his physical education requirement, his producer, our producer for the first record had to sign off on to make sure he did X amount of bass playing a day to satisfy his physical education requirement. That, like, that was tough for him. Can't beat that. <laughs> I mean, he probably got an A. I mean, right. how ridiculous is that? If that's what they base that on, you, you know what I mean? But yeah, that was the real. That's exactly what happened, man. I wonder and, if that uh, would so happen. Weird. If that would happen these days, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. It was an extenuating circumstance that they realized things were really starting to happen, and I, uh, hey, I don't know, but uh, they they went for it, man. I guess I guess from school to school they probably imposed different minimums but yeah, right. for pj they 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 gave him they gave him i guess they gave him a pass he graduated got his diploma he uh oh and this is the best part he went to his prom and metal edge magazine set up a contest to win a prom day <laughs> with pj Farley. <laughs> <laughs> so they flew someone out she went to the prom with pj nice. really and then the magazine covered it took pictures of it and everything put it in the magazine that's hysterical. That's fantastic. Yeah, rough life. Then, you yeah. know, he's just out of high school and he freaking uh, gets to be number one on MTV. It's not a bad, it's not a bad life. So, so <laughs> before you guys, I mean, how did you get your deal? I mean, how did that all unfold? All right. Things started to happen. Here's the thing, you know, when people don't know the band, you know, personally and they see it from the outside it looks like oh look what just happened they just made it big there it is you know, they don't hear the backstory so it took some time uh we found pj was it 88 i think 88 we signed our recording contract well well yeah we we it flows back up a little bit we got pj and then we started really playing heavy we had our lineup solid uh we uh Play, we played around, uh, I guess, the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, that that sort of thing. Uh, and we were opening for a band called Skid Row. And uh, 
every time we played, uh, I guess I guess we all became friends with John Bon Jovi at some point, and then Skid Row got signed because they were had a very close association with him. And John said something like, "Hey guys, when you play around New York, New Jersey, let the Trickster guys open up for you." You know, so we we, we got the nod, and Skids were playing in this place in Staten Island called the Park Villa, otherwise known as On Stage Staten Island. Uh, so they were playing, and we were opening up for him. And there's this guy in the audience. He uh, was the uh, roommate of Rob Afuso, the drummer of Skid Row. So he comes down to see Skid Row, you know, we're opening up. He comes, he sees it, he goes, holy crap. And he comes to see us after show. He goes, guys, I, I want to talk to you guys, if you don't mind. Get, you know, step into this office over here. I'm like, okay, we're talking. We find out this guy's name is Ken Mako. He is the protege of Peter Mensch, uh, one of the top dogs at Q Prime Management. They were management for Def Leppard, Queensryche, Metallica, uh, Tesla. Their roster was ridiculous. They were the bona fide real deal. So uh, well, he, he uh, ultimately had his other partner, Joel Weinshanker. Uh, they, they, they took us with their idea. They said, listen, guys, love what you do. do the, oh, oh, we, got, we got an idea. We're going to put a bunch of money into you. Gonna make new demos. Uh, you need a, Steve, you need a guitar cabinet. PJ, you need a bass pedal. Uh, Pete, you need a microphone. And Gus, you need brakes on your car. We got you covered, pal. We're gonna we're gonna make new demos. We're gonna pay for everything. And if we don't have you signed to a major label contract in twelve months, you don't owe us a penny. Now hmm. that sounds pretty darn good, right? So how do we get screwed? You know, that's right, the next right. question. Yeah. What's going and on? Guess there? what? There was no foul play. It was a fair deal. They said, once you have signed them, we're doing a standard 20% deal. I was going to be the deal. What they, you know, they get a percentage. And uh, now that sounds a little high. Normally, management can range anywhere from 8% to 20, 25%. It's a wide open thing. There's, there's no set set number, really. It goes sure. from management. That's how they do business. Uh, now, now the, the, the coolest part, but you know, we, we, I'm looking for a way to get screwed here, or you're probably waiting to hear it. And I hate to tell you, it didn't happen. We, we didn't get screwed. Uh, it, we it did the, what they said, put the money. I need money for this. I need for this. Okay, no problem. No problem. We made new demos. They shot at the companies eight months later. Well, you know, cutting to the chase. We, we were we were courted by a number of record companies that we showcased a lot. Just about every major record label came to see us within that eight, you know, 12 month period, really eight months. And uh, well, there was down to a bidding war between the two companies, but the ending result was MCA Records. They stepped up, gave us a lot of money, and signed up for a two album firm deal with four options. Uh, so it was pretty amazing. That was in eight months after they presented us with that contract that we were signed bona fide to a major label record deal. Eight months. And, uh, yep. Uh, and add, uh, then we they give you X amount of money to make the records, do promotion for the records. So it was a legitimate deal. And here's the real killer. This was amazing. Uh, although that our management was entitled to 20% from dollar one that we generated, they did not take their cut until the band covered their expenses. Now, I heard of like nice guys in the business. I've never heard of a guy that did that for a band. And I got to tell you, it, it, you know, you always hear these screw jobs that bands are getting short in the stick, get ripped off. That they are so far the other way. One thing I have to say, our management, Shark Entertainment, Joel Weinshanker, Ken Mako, they never stole a dollar from us. They only acted in our very best interest and they were honorable 
beyond compare. Uh, yeah, so mm-hmm. like you know, all those horrible stories here, these guys were the exact opposite. They truly loved us. They uh, they they put the money where their mouth was, and now they they exceeded our expectations. Didn't just by paying by the book and take out uh, we're entitled from dollar one to take twenty percent, which they were, and they didn't even take it. They said, "No, guys, we're not taking our percentage until the band's expenses are met." Now that's huge. You know, taking it off the net, not the gross. And they were entitled to the gross, but they did not take it. Is, it, is, that, that, is that why you guys always look so happy in pictures? Maybe so. You guys always seem like the happy guys. <laughs> you, know, you know, someone else mentioned something about that. And, and you know, it, there's really a lot of truth to it. And, and you see uh, some of the interviews where we're all together on YouTube. We're all racking on each other, laughing, being silly, making jokes. Yeah. That's exactly how we are. You know, we're a bunch of freaking idiots. And we haven't changed very much since high school. <laughs> really yeah. happened, you know, so there's a lot of love, a lot of camaraderie through the years. And it's been a long time. Time. They're almost thirty years now. So yeah, thirty years. When, when the when did uh, the self title album come out? Ninety. Nineteen ninety. It released in nineteen ninety. But you figure, see, we don't look at it that way. Maybe the rest of the world does. But we were a band for several years prior to that. Yeah. Stephen Pete. Uh, Stephen Pete started the band in eighty two, eighty three. You know what I mean? So there's a lot. You know, we all went to high school together for crying out loud. Yeah. You know. So it was a uh, cool dynamic. Something really special. Really cool. That's awesome. And off, and off that album, you had three number one videos on MTV, right? Yes, sir. That's correct. Yeah, wow. I think it was a total of fifteen weeks at number one between all three of them. Yeah, right out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah and, and as a matter of fact, to get us off the number one spot, they had to shut down the damn countdown. That people, I don't know if people know how it works, but they, we the number one to get the number one video, you have to be requested. Yeah. And uh, it was our third video, surrender. That debuted number two, two weeks later went number one for two weeks, and then they shut down the top ten most requested videos of, of the day. And that's how we got off the charts. Don't so tell you, we were the last number one video to ever be played on MTV. So I always oh, joke that, there's, there's an argument to there's an argument to be made that we have the longest running number one video on MTV because we're still number one today. Yeah, technically you still are. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you miss those shows? I used to love those shows. I don't understand how they call it MTV anymore because it's my understanding they don't play music. Yeah, I mean, it's just a network now, regular network. I don't even know what their programming is like. And I mean, I find it interesting. And I guess there's something I really don't understand about it. Do they, is it a revenue thing? Do they make that much more money off having shows like that as opposed to running videos? Is their listenership that much or their, their viewership? Uh, you know, I, I, I personally just don't understand anymore but maybe video on demand has killed the mtv model where it's not necessary anymore you just go to youtube but if you want to punch up what you want i mean i don't yeah, know i don't know i mean i would think if if that same format was still around today i would think it would, would it be, work i, I, I would think it would work i think well being that nobody's doing it the idea of somebody doing something now i mean right I would think that. And maybe get the artists on and do an interview or something like that, a freaking remote location, something or other. I mean, how cool would that be? Yeah. We're in Dallas Square. ZZ Top's about to take the stage. Check. Holy crap, how cool would that be? Have an on air correspondence doing stuff like that. It'd be freaking awesome. Yeah. You I mean, know? I mean, maybe that's the, the generation that we grew up with. You know, that was our way of getting the music. Whereas, like you said today, kids go on YouTube or just go online and get their videos or music. So 
Maybe that's well, the I difference. find it interesting to say the very least because when they got rid of that countdown, that was obviously a calculated change. And I thought the timing is interesting. It was at the dawn of the 90s, you know, and they led the charge to make what was commercial alternative and took alternative bands like Nirvana, Pearl Jam and stuff like that and made them commercial. I mean, in 1989, a band like Pearl Jam couldn't get arrested on MTV, right. you know, and then after 1992, a band like Trick for Warren. Bon Jovi and Def Leppard, they couldn't get arrested on MTV at that time. Yeah. It was really weird. It wasn't just a crime against us. The whole genre went in the toilet, you know, mm -hmm. and a new genre came out, grunge. And it was led by the charge at MTV and them making specific decisions as to what to promote and what the, what the, what the 90s are going to be about. You know, it was kind of kind of weird. We kind of caught that last wave out of the 80s and uh, came to a crashing halt. Do you think if... Uh that album would have came out maybe four years earlier. I mean, how, how I, I, I think I would have been calling you from a gold phone right now. Yes. I yeah. truly believe that. Yeah. I think so too. <laughs> or, or I would have been divorced seven more times. So, you know, uh, maybe I'd be calling you from a pay phone. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? No, I, I, I agree. I it would have been drastically different. I, I really do believe that. But, you know, unfortunately, if I think like that, I will stab myself. So yeah. <laughs> I can't really harp on that too much. But yeah, I, I think hell, I'll do you one better if it were maybe 18 months different right. it would have been substantially different particularly and, and you know this may be a little weird to say but our second record here we had a lot of high hopes for that i truly believe that the material on that was nothing short of outstanding mm -hmm. and was a perfect sophomore effort but unfortunately did not get to see the light of day because of the lack of infrastructure between radio and mtv in particular that uh we used to get so much support from we did not have that support anymore yeah. So, uh, you know, the whole industry changed within a relatively short period of time. It really did. Now, let me ask you this um, regarding the Trickster album, the first one. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you might disagree with me, but the, pro the production on that album, I thought was lacking. I won't disagree with you. What? I mean, was, how is that not here, noticed? Here, here, what, what? Yeah, well, you know what? It's not a matter of notice, but here, here's something interesting. And I, I challenge everyone to try this. If you can find the original album version of the song One in a Million and then go to YouTube and watch the One in a Million video and listen to that soundtrack. There are two different mixes on there. The one on the album was done by... Mr. Mentionless. Hmm. The one that was done on the video that you see on MTV or you see on YouTube today, that was done by a guy by the name of Mike Shipley. He was the engineer for Mutt Lang and Def Leppard. So, why? Back then, I guess there was a mentality that they wanted us to sound young, raw, and fresh or something like that. And I, I won't tell you, I, I, I cannot say that it was my decision. <laughs> but the decision was made that that was the manner in which they wanted us to come across a little more raw. And I'll be honest, uh, uh, sonically speaking, I, I want to knock the record. I mean, the songs were freaking amazing. Yeah. Uh, but as far as the production is concerned, yes, I felt it was, it was certainly not up to where it should be. Mm -hmm. But that was the sound that they were going for. Hmm. I always sound And I, I must say, when I heard the first mix or even the final mix, I was like, really? You know what I mean? Yeah. I was hoping for a certain, certainly something more. And when you listen to that one in a million on the video, the, the song that's on the video, the remix, it's the same drum hits. It's the same guitar. It's the same vocal. However, 
it's mixed with a kick in the ass. So that's the thing. It's so weird to hear the difference between, I call them two different songs, but it's the same damn song. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah, I really challenge. Well, that's not a challenge. I, I urge people to listen to some so they can hear the difference between one style of mix and a different style of mix and how important mix can be in making your song. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the question is, well, gee, what the hell did you do a mix for that with Mike Shipley? Why didn't you just do the whole damn record? <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? But obviously a mix was done for the single because the album wasn't enough to let it fly. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? There's so much more energy. There's so much more full sound. The guitar sounds amazing. The vocal, everything sounds amazing on that the remix for one of the single uh, mix, you know? So, yeah, dude, I, I find it interesting when people approach me with that question. That's why I wanted to answer quickly when you said you thought it was lax. Like, I'm okay, you, so bro. I'm not the only one that thought that. Then. <laughs> no, no. Nice. You know, no, again, it doesn't change the songs. The songs are freaking great. But yeah, with a mix like that, Mike Shipley did, boy, it freaking, it totally popped. It totally popped. It was, you know, totally fresh. It was awesome. You know, I mean, just a bass drum alone freaking killed it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. You ever think about, <laughs> yeah, uh, you got to hear the difference between the two, the two schools of thought, the two mixes, the album mix versus that, that video mix. It's like night and day, man. Do you ever think about, uh, remixing the mastering for the 30th anniversary? <sighs> I didn't, uh, I, well, well, hell, I re-recorded Give It To Me Good. I did it my way, and I think right. my way sounds a hell of a lot better. <laughs> you know, Yours is like a country version, right? Yeah, yeah. I slowed down a little bit, put a little groove into it. Yeah, it's it's certainly more. It's it's what I refer to as power country. It's a, it's a much different vibe. But sonically speaking, I urge people to listen to Trickster version and listen to Marcus Scott's version. It's, uh, it's substantially different. I'd like to see what they have to say. Side by side. Well, you know, well, one after the other. If you listen, to it, you. If you listen to it simultaneously, that'll be real messed up because I think my, temp my tempo is slower. It's going to get all screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, when when you when that album came out, Trickster, um, how soon was it before you got on your first major tour? Uh, you know what? Slow that down. It went, the album came out in late May 1990, and we started doing very well. Uh, at album-oriented rock stations, AOR. Those are, uh, I guess, smaller stations. I mean, they had large presence in major cities, stuff like that. Uh, they were college stations, uh, rock stations, but it was that major commercial hit radio stations everybody wanted to listen for. You know, like C100 in New York or something like that, Pirate Radio in L.A., uh, you know, the big commercial, you know, where, where Mar if Mariah Carey were playing on that station, that's the station they wanted you to be on. You, you know what I mean? That big crossover station. So we started having independent promotion. People pushed the radio, so we started making a lot of ground at these rock stations, and we finally did our video a couple months after the album came out. We got it to MTV. They go, Hey fellas, uh, video looks good. Uh, what's major radio doing with the with the with the song? I'm like, oh damn it, you know, we didn't get those major radio stations yet. So well, we you know we're we're really doing good at album AOR stations. It's really coming along. We're really moving a lot, doing good. We're like, yeah, okay, well we'll we'll think about it. We're like, oh damn it. So <laughs> we start going to those commercial hit radio stations, and we're like, yeah, we're getting we're doing great on those AOR stations. You know, we're really uh, they're racking them up. They're starting to play our song all the time. Oh, that's great. Uh, what's uh, what's MTV doing with the song? We're like. Damn it, you know. <laughs> so it took some time to get some traction at that larger audience. You know what I'm saying? Right. But MTV gave us a shot. I'm trying to think when it happened. Maybe in August, something like that. Uh, July, August 
1990. They gave us a shot on MTV, something called Smasher Trash. They put the video away, but give it to me, good the video on. And they said, okay, here's this new band, Trickster. If you like it, call this 1-800 number and say it's a smash. If you think it stinks, call this other 800 number and tell them to trash it. Sucks. You know, so it was an opportunity to sink or swim. And you think about it, if, you know, a whole bunch of people call and say you suck, your career is probably over. Yeah, <laughs> you quick. know what I mean? But thank God we smashed around 84%. So that enabled us to get onto medium rotation at MTV. How many times that, did you call? Oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was probably nonstop. We all did. You know? yeah, sure, yeah. sure. You had to jump that sucker. But, I, you know, I think, I think also it started to gain some traction on its own because one day, it entered that top 10 countdown at number seven. Mm-hmm. And when I got the gold Gus were number seven, I'm like, shut up, you know? But man, we were watching it one day and it came on there like, holy crap. You know, and that's when things started to happen, you know, that it started to really swim on its own. We couldn't sway dial MTV at that, on that magnitude of the whole country calling in. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't think back then they had auto dialers or if they did, you know, we didn't have them. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? yeah. So how many phone calls it takes to generate a number one hit on MTV? But yes, yeah, debuted at number seven, then it was number six, number five, number two. And one day we were playing uh, the Newport Music Hall in freaking Ohio and the manager's out on the roadways. He goes, guys, get backstage. We need to talk. And we're like, oh, shit, we throw her in trouble. Maybe you found out I smashed the dressing room or something. You know what I mean? We're like, oh, shoot. Says, yeah, you're thinking the worst. Yeah, right, right. He says, guys, sit down. I'm like, oh, Jesus, here we go. I'm going to get chewed out. I just wanted to let you guys know you're number one on MTV. I was like, whoa. Everybody was silent. We all looked at each other. We looked at him. We thought we thought maybe he's busting horns. You know what I mean? Right. And then we, re- then we realized, without saying a word, we all looked at each other. We looked at him. We knew that it was really happening. And we tried to just, you know, take it in for a moment, really let it sink in like, wow, you know, this is really happening. So that was like, that was a moment right there. Uh, You know, we celebrate, we didn't even celebrate, just came to the realization, like, you know, it's funny when you start playing and we were playing six days a week minimum, you know, we're out there just doing it. Go, go, go. We, We didn't like have our head up in the clouds we just had more to do so we carried on you know what i mean yeah but to, to take a moment to think wow okay this is a pinnacle moment and it's like it's really happening right, right. <laughs> so we looked at each other well like it almost didn't seem real you know what i mean so we celebrated for a good 90 seconds and okay we gotta go play the show let's go <laughs> you know so there's almost no time to celebrate you know, right. and to rejoice and, and hold your arm in conquest of the fact that you're number one. It's like, all right, we got shit to do here, so let's go. <laughs> you know right. I mean? We just didn't have time, you know, but to go out on stage that night and say we're the number one band on MTV, that was pretty darn huge. Now, were your crowds right. matching that number one status on MTV at the time? Yeah, well, I'll tell you that that's kind of funny because we were we started by opening for bands like Striper and Don Dockin. And when we would go on, a certain percentage of the crowd would leave. Well, <clears throat> after we, you know, or they wanted to meet us outside or something like that. You know what I mean? It was kind of weird. And I think that was starting to get noticed, mm-hmm. you know? And that's when we got our calls to do the arenas. We got a call from Poison. That was our first uh, arena actor we started opening for. And then ultimately the Scorpions. Uh, that was huge. And then the biggest tour we, this is amazing. The biggest tour we had for summer of 91 was the Warrant and Firehouse Trickster uh, Blood, Sweat, and Beers tour. And that was, 
that exceeded all of our expectations. That had to be a blast. Man, listen, we thought it would be good. We didn't know it was going to be that good. And our management sat us down because we had another offer from somebody else. And actually, it was David Lee Roth. And, and we, we immediately, when the call came in from Dave, we're like, dude, we're going to tour with Dave. I mean, Van Halen. Right. Those right. are gods. We have, of course, calls. How, how can we possibly go with anybody else? Freaking love David Lee Roth. You know, management said, whoa, 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 boys. Hang on. We got this offer from Warren's here. Now, right then and there, I remember I looked at my manager. I said, what kind of bullshit are you telling me we're going with Warren instead of, instead of David Lee Roth? Are you crazy? And he said, listen, Gus, sit down, shut up. Uh, this is this is the, my rationale behind it. He says, Warren, he's got this new out cherry pie thing. It's kicking ass. They're making the move to the next level for them. Firehouse is coming out. They had uh, Don't Treat Me Bad Top 40 single. And guess what? They got that level of lifetime coming out. It's going to kill. You guys got three number ones. Guess what? You're all the same genre. This is going to be the best package of the year. The best lineup of bands coming out this summer. You got to be on this tour. I'm sorry to say, I know you love Dave. I know you love Van Halen. I know you'd kill for Van Halen, but guess what? Dave ain't doing so hot. Yeah, what was what was he touring at, at that time? It was his third solo album, I think, just after Skyscraper. Uh, what, uh, like a Little Ain't Enough had, or something? Yes, that's what it was what it was i keep screwing that up those and we we love i love david lee i met him i worked for him on the eat him and smile tour uh at the middle east new jersey it was my first arena backstage working situation that was an awesome tour. That dave he was so nice to me and greg bissonette the drummer and billy sheehan they were just such nice guys and i was working put i put the pa up in the air I and mean, it was amazing you know i worked with the whole union back in jersey it was great so i had this allegiance to dave so how can we possibly do that you know it was just didn't make any sense but our manager dead on the money correct he had the wherewithal to have a real smart head and to look at the situation objectively where we were young and so led by our god of david lee roth van halen that we couldn't even see clearly to the idea of possibly doing something else and how could that possibly be a right move and it was exactly the perfect thing we should have done going with warren firehouse to go play on the blood sweat and fear store because it was the biggest damn tour of the year and we killed it we had things on the roster and we were playing nice plays the first club plays was in bismarck north dakota nice arena and it was very good it was great but then something happened when the word got out just how good this bill was we started playing bigger places and they started adding more dates and we ended up selling out the world amphitheater in chicago thirty-three thousand people i remember rolling in the night before when we rolled in i mean we had a convoy and we made noise it was nuts and we we got into the nice hotel and uh, i think oh, give me a break i remember what it was uh, I think it was the Omni in Chicago. And uh, we get in there, go to, of course, we go right to the bar. And there's some suits in the bar where they see us. We're coming to long hair, jackets, body cars, and all that bull crap here. And they, they come on, hey, guys, uh, welcome to Chicago. How you doing? You guys are uh, playing the uh, World Amphitheater tomorrow. Yeah, uh, yeah, how you doing? How you doing? Hey, thanks, thanks, uh, great cheers, you know. And uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. you think it's sold out? I really don't know. Like, ah, I don't think it's sold out. I'm like, all right, yeah, whatever. Have a great day. The idea that we sold it out the next day. Yeah. I just remember that suit prick fucking trying to <laughs> knock us down. You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, that we exceeded our own expectations. And to be honest with you, I didn't know it was sold out. I really could care less. We were kicking ass and having fun. And, you know, it, it was very successful regardless. But the idea that we actually sold out a place that big. Yeah. I, ne I never would have thought that Warrant, Trickster, and Firehouse would have done that. You, well, you know I mean, I'm at saying? that time, I mean, you three were, had it going on. 
and that I got to tell you though, I said I who I but I, with that bill, honestly, I didn't think that would happen. I don't think any of us thought we would play places that big and really do that, and we did, and we did it again. They added more dates. You know, it was supposed to be, I don't know, to start up maybe a little less than two months tour, turning like four months or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, how amazing is that on that level? You know? Yeah, guys, we're going to add some more. We're going to extend the tour a little bit. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> you know, no problem, fellas. <laughs> Keep adding those dates, you know? <laughs> and then we did a pay-per-view special on that tour. We had the largest pay-per-view special of 1991, and that was the Blood, Sweat, and Beers tour. You could see it on... Uh, on YouTube now, just punch it up. Blood, sweat, and beers, or uh, War Trickster Firehouse, Lafayette, Louisiana, in uh, the summer of '91. I'll have to was, check that out. It was it was friggin' amazing. I didn't know there was pay per view back then. Oh yeah, 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 sure. That's when. Yeah, absolutely. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. It's kind of funny. Live from the Cajun Dome, Lafayette, Louisiana. It's uh, that was so special. It was crazy. It was crazy, man. Things really. I saw really you guys happened. with. Um... Scorpions. Oh, where? In Fort Myers, Florida. Fort Myers, I love Florida. Yeah. What? Um, Florida was a primary market for us. Florida was a very strong market for Trickster. We played there a lot. I remember everywhere. Mm. Yeah, I, I saw the you there, and then I saw you down there in Tampa. I think you guys played uh, 98 Rock, a livestock yes, festival. <laughs> livestock. Oh, yeah. my God. I can't believe that's so funny. I used to go there oh, every year. Oh, class. Yeah, we did that. Hell yeah. Class. I remember the 98 Rock logo. But there yeah. was like a, a oval black with the red outline. Yep, I know it. Yeah, I think white or yellow leather, letters on 98 Rock. Yep, yep. Rock. Yep, I remember. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. I had a t-shirt. They gave me a t-shirt. 98 Rock shirt. <laughs> you still got it? Yeah. Yeah, I swear. Uh, well, no, I don't think Probably I have not. it. I did more recently, but I don't think I, I, I did a cleaning a long time ago. I, so much crap. I guess yeah. that's what happens during divorce, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> you lose a lot of t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I had it for a long time. How, how were the Scorps to tour with? Let me tell you something, man. I don't know because everybody we've come in contact, everybody treated us nice. Nobody had Well, you guys attitude. were always happy. Maybe that's it, man. I'm telling, telling you. And you know, I, I remember the first day of the Scorps, we walk into the arena and Scorps doing sound check and Klaus Mine and Rudy, I think it was uh, Matthias, they're, they're hanging on the, by the soundboard. We come walking in and I come over to the soundboard. Like, hey, how you doing? Me and Klaus hit it off right off the bat, I think because we're both short. And man, <laughs> he was so nice to me, you know. We're talking for a while. He was so nice. And then we would go, they, we'd sit down and have dinner together and catering. They were super cool. They were so nice. And, you know, we, we played their stuff. When Trickster was a cover band, before we really started doing originals, we did Rock You Like a Hurricane, you yeah. know? And there they are with, or touring with the Scorpion. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Yeah. And they were so cool, man. You know? It wasn't like, oh, you're the opening band. Uh, nice to meet you. Excuse us. They weren't. They were so not like that. When they saw us come into catering for dinner, said, come here, sit down. I'm like, holy shit. That's you awesome. Know, Oh, it was the greatest thing, man. And let me tell you, when our first our first band we toured was Striper. They were the same way. Oh, my God. Me and my Robert Sweet, we used to play a game. This was so crazy. We got like five, six guys standing in a circle, and we'd grab a handful of hair, the guy to your right, and grab a handful of guy to your left, and everybody would just pull. <laughs> They'd drink and just pull until, they had, until you couldn't take it anymore. It was freaking nuts stuff. And that's and, how you and, won the game? Last man standing? You don't, nobody 
wins. Nobody <laughs> wins. It's so ridiculous. But, you know, when you're rocking to go crazy, that's what you do. But he taught me a, a secret lesson. This was really cool. He, he told me the secret to life. What's when that? You go through, when you go through life and you see something for $100 or less, it's free. <laughs> <laughs> but he said as the was going along he had to lower his his, his standard it, from everything from fifty dollars less is free oh, <laughs> but he's so funny i mean the, the fact that we hung out like that we just got so close and fun and we had so much fun even yeah. when we got off the tour when we played la he would come down to the show and he party to hide from security at the hotel together with a whole mob of people in a closet it was so freaking great i mean it's so much fun you know yeah. so the idea to come they, they, they weren't this nice to us we became friends you know became family it was like it was beautiful yeah it was so nice you know oh my god michael sweet Took, went to our hotel room, flipped our hotel room upside down. Me and Pete used to room together. <laughs> he got his road crew and he freaking flipped our room. So me and Pete got our paintball guns. We blasted this room. <laughs> start blasting this freaking room with paintballs. <laughs> oh my God. Man, that sounds I, like yeah. you guys had a great time on the road. No, no, no. That, those are all fake stories. We really just went to church every day and said <laughs> our no Venus. That's really what happened. Yeah. That's yeah, it. See, I knew that. It, it not, there were no naked women whatsoever. No, no, no. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so, god i can't tell you man the fun, I, I mean it's funny when you look back you can't even imagine how much fun we had i can't believe it you know it's crazy so much fun so when you guys guys went in for your second album here which was a great album and production quality was 10 times a better different right yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 but that was at that time when everything switched mm-hmm we um, we had the door kind of closed on us, man. Did um, MCA dropped you guys, right? Yeah, after that record, they did. Yes, they did. Uh, and uh, it, you know, it's kind of weird looking back. We well, that here here's here's an interesting thing to look at. Uh, we did the first record, came out, did 13 months of touring off that first record, did 321 shows in 13 months. That's a lot of playing, bro. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, after that, we took a break. Uh, wrote new songs. We, we did some demos on the road for the, for for here. But, you know, took a break. Went to studio. Made the new record. By the time we got back out, MTV was gone. They were playing, you know, for different stuff. Yeah. Uh, getting on radio was a chore because we lost that support at MTV. We did, again, very well at the rock station. But getting those upper-level stations, we were not... We, we're not successful doing it. And we had no MTV presence really at all. We were on tour with Kiss. Uh, they, they hired, they wanted us to get on the tour before we were done with the record. So we had to hurry up, get the record out just to get on the Kiss tour. Uh, we uh, That was towards the end of 92. And then we did, uh, we, I guess we went through the States a couple of times, uh, pretty much on our own. And we did well, but, you know, uh, certainly not like it was in 91. You know, now there was and, two two year difference between those two albums. I mean, that's a short time. I mean, was it a, a rush to get the second album out, it, it knowing things were changing? In a, in, a, in, a, in a ripe environment, the problem was the the scene was rapidly changing. Mm -hmm. It was changing severely uh, between ninety one and ninety two, and we took a lot of downtime in between in between that harsh environment of change you know what i'm saying yeah. so if we had taken that break in 89 and 90 that wouldn't have been so bad but 91 to 92 
that was a bad time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was exponentially longer than chronologically long. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And for every one month you take off between 91 and 92, it was really like two and a half months yeah. <laughs> you know, versus for in a declining marketplace. That's what the real problem was. You yeah. know what I mean? So it was a weird time. And unfortunately it, it, it hurt us. It really did, you know, and certainly the, the album here did not get the opportunity to be recognized. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, bothers us because listen it, maybe it's hard for us to be objective it's you know we were the players on the record that made the song the, uh, we truly believe in it this, i truly believe i'll say it today the songs on the song the song quality that's on the, the songs themselves are really fantastic the production was very very good and uh there's some stuff that really rocked on there great ballads uh and some rockers that just nailed it i mean so go to youtube and listen to rocking horse amazing rock song road of a thousand dreams the opening cut on the record check that out on youtube killer yeah. killer uh and yeah, yeah, i think people have posted just the songs with a still shot listen to something like runaway train an amazing song nobody's hero amazing song and not because i played on them or everyone they're great songs they really are yeah no i and agree it was a, it was a good album mm -hmm. I mean, I, I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I, I, I love people just to hear it because you know what? Music is just so great, mm -hmm. you know? So we had a lot of, it really, it really, we truly, while we were making it, we're looking at it like, wow, this stuff's really good. You know, yeah. you know, we're not like, oh, well, the material has been compromised as opposed to the first record that had such poppy song. This, no, this, this had it. Right. It really did. But hey, welcome to the world that was changing, not in our favor. Right. So that's, uh, so, but uh, I always thought that us re releasing that record would be a smart move. It's already done. Just maybe a remix. Maybe for uh, the 30th. Hey, oh, see, now you're thinking, my friend. Now yeah. you're thinking. Um, you, me, and, me and you both are we're very like minded, very, very like minded, Joe. Let me tell you something there, kid. <laughs> now we're on the same page. Unlike, that's what I'm unlike the about, beginning phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, all right. So um, fast forward a little bit. After you were dropped by MCA, you released, was that third album? Was that covers? Undercovers. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, from there, you took a long time before another album came out. Were you guys yes, sir. split up at that time? or Basically, yeah. Uh, I quit in January of 95. Uh, I think soon after the band disbanded. Uh, and yeah, I guess a hiatus might be the right word. I don't Again, know. Well, yeah, and we, I mean, you got we back together. Back so. together. We did get it back together in 2007, 2008. And, uh, we started, it was a very ferocious comeback. Our first show back was Rocklahoma, huge 30,000 people. Then the second show was opening for poison and the band Boston, uh, in Kadat, Wisconsin, Rockfest, huge 35,000 people. It was huge, huge. And uh, I'll tell you, the response was great. That 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 show we did at Rockfest in Wisconsin, we did an autograph signing after the show. It was arguably the longest line I think anyone has seen. And, and like we couldn't believe it ourselves. I mean, we took 15 years off, two shows, and look what we're doing. It's like, my, I flew my family out to see that show, my kids, mm -hmm. you know, because they always saw the stuff on TV and stuff. Right. They never saw a show. So they saw the show. And then they saw after the show, Oh, daddy can't talk right now. He's busy. Right, <laughs> right. When they Still saw working. the line, 
they got it. You know what I mean? Then they really saw it. And that, I think, I mean, it, we were impressed with ourselves. We were like, oh my goodness. Like, so you know, what, what made you really guys get back again. together? I mean, was there a demand for it or did you just make a phone call and be like, hey, you know what happened? This? this is, I think this is what was weird. Uh, poison. They had a long-standing contract with Clear Channel, and they did a summer arena or outdoor shed tour every every year. You know, doing the outdoor amphitheaters and stuff like that. And in the contract, they said they had to have a different opening act every time they came through. So, some I guess Brett Michaels called and said, "Hey guys, uh, what are you doing?" <laughs> you know, You're like nothing. And, uh, like, I'm, yeah, like, I'm sorry to say, uh, you know, we're not together. He says, "Well, listen, you want to change that." Here's my agent's phone number. Uh, give him a call and let's see what we could do here. So Steve got on the call to this one. Pete called this one. Called me, and all of a sudden, one day, Steve shows up at my restaurant in Florida, New York, and says, "What do you say?" I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening." You know, it's like whatever happened in between didn't matter. We got a new mission. You know right. what I mean? And we put it back together. It started with Steve and I just practicing together, going through the songs. And it was like we didn't miss a beat, except for we'll come to one part of the song. <laughs> we, we first song we did was "Line of Fire," and it's great. We're rocking. We're in the groove. It's like it was like yesterday. That sounds the same as we did twenty years ago. Whatever is great. And all of a sudden we get to one part. We go, wait a minute, that's not right. And he goes, yeah, it is. I go, that's not right. Yeah, it is. So we get the CD out. We're listening. Like, oh my god, it's different. Yeah, let me go. Look. I got it. I got it. <laughs> well, it's been a while. So, yeah, I know. That was so weird. You know, like, it's just so funny, but that's how it started. Then, you know, we did like three rehearsals. We were ready to go, man. <laughs> just rocking it. And this was what year? Roughly? 2008. Okay. Because then you had mm -hmm. another album come out in 2012. Well, even before that, we had a live recording from Japan. Mm -hmm. That we recorded in 93. We never did anything with it. So I think it was 2009 that we put that out alive in Japan, the live recording. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was pretty cool, you know. But yeah, in 2012, we signed a deal with Frontiers Records and we put out New Audio Machine. And that album charted number 56 on iTunes. And we were back with a vengeance. It was the, the material again not saying it just because it's us but the songs were truly outstanding the production was fantastic we did it in steve's home studio sounded freaking great you know we had some help guys like chuck alcasian one of the great uh, producers in rock today he he uh, helped mix a lot of the stuff uh our, our good fr friend pete evick the guitarist from brett michael's band he mixed some stuff so we had some help but man i'm telling you what Sounds freaking great. I don't know how much you've heard. I'd love to you know, input I, I haven't people heard myself. any of that album, to be honest with you. Not you know what? Lie. Just go to YouTube, click punch it up, and see what pops up. New audio machine trickster. There's there's some there's some hot material on there. Even the opening track is smoking. Uh -huh. a, lot, a lot of great stuff. Uh you, you know, it's kind of weird. I remember Steve coming to me and said, dude, we're gonna make a record. And I I put my hand on my forehead. I'm like, oh no, oh no. I was so worried because so many of our heroes from back in the 80s were coming out with material after the year 2000. And it sounded like crap. Yeah. You know, a lot of that. I'm like, how? Right. I remember being a kid. I couldn't wait to get that LP or the cassette and pop it in. And like, yes, I've arrived. My, my hero band has brought it through for me once again. I love them. It was so not that experience after the year 2000. So I was so scared that Trickster was going to be just like that. 
And I said, oh, God, I don't want to make a record that disappoints people. That's crap. When Steve started playing me the demos, I was like, oh, my God, that sounds great. He says, you like that? I could suck check this out. He puts on another one. I hear a hook. I hear riffs. I'm like, oh, my God, it sounds really good. Because you're like that. I got another one. And of every song this kid played, I'm like, holy crap, we're making a record. <laughs> and I got excited. And then we started tracking it. And every time, first we started with the drums, then we did the bass, then we did the guitar, then the vocal. After every single layer went on that recording, it got better and better and better and man that's why i tell you go to youtube and check it out don't just hear me uh, you know every band they promote their thing it's the greatest thing ever just go to well, youtube i'll check it out and i'll, I'll let you know give it 30 seconds for free on youtube <laughs> and i'm telling you it's gonna kick you man there's some really good crap on that record really good stuff you know now i did so, yeah. hear um human error I, and, and i gotta say that song the song is Human Error, also, correct? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I gotta say, how do I say this? Say it. If say it, I think if the band wasn't called, <laughs> if you weren't called Trickster, yeah. I think that could have done really well. Yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting way of putting it. But I'm, mm -hmm. I'm glad you like the song. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying I'm that is a bad thing. I'm just saying, no, no, you know, hey, man, because I, when, won't, I won't disagree with your ideology. Believe me, that's mm -hmm. why I like to hear you say it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I that was a great song. I thought. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I tell you what, the, and again, I don't like to be the guy from the band that says it, but yeah, I would love you to hear more songs from that album because you know what? The one thing that I stand by, we're more proud of the last two records we did than anything else we did. Mm. I, well, that's not true, but we're very proud of them because we did them ourselves. You know, mm. and it, we didn't do it just for the sake of putting out a record there was quality material to put on those records you know what i'm yeah. saying that was the thing i was so worried about when steve first came he said we're doing a record i didn't want it to be crap like oh we're just putting it out because we're back together no they had the material to put on there that stood up yeah and said yeah it's worthy of making a record out of this stuff you know what i'm saying yeah i mean and you're right there's a lot of the bands from that time that released the albums like you said and yeah. i mean myself i've bought the albums put them on and i'm i tried to give them benefit of the doubt being like oh it's not bad but after mm -hmm. listening to it you're like man i can't listen to this again i know it man i know it but yeah no, that yeah, that's why i hate being the guy say oh it's great stuff i sound like the typical guy pushing a record but I'd love you. You know, that's why I didn't say a word till you said what it sounded like. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's I'll like, be honest with there you. really is, there really is quality material on there. Not because I recorded or was part of the band, but because there really is quality material. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say, I don't tell people to go buy it, right? Go to YouTube, listen for free, check it, test drive before you buy it. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. But man, I'm telling you what, I'm not lying when I tell you the damn material kicks ass and we're very proud of it. Mm -hmm. Not like, Oh yeah, it's the best thing we ever did. Let me tell you something. It's some freaking fantastic music that was produced right and sounds freaking fantastic. And the louder you crank it, the better it freaking sounds. Uh, here, just a uh, reference sake, if somebody wants to go to YouTube, check out Rockin' to the Edge of the Night by Trickster from Human Era. It's a video we did for that one. It sounded well, that and Human Era. Listen to those two. There's two videos right on uh, YouTube, and they're, the videos are cool, and they sound freaking great. So check it out for free. How's that? Yeah, man. Bam. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, we're putting your funny way out this tough guy. All right, get your damn YouTube out. Trickster, Rockin' the Edge of the Night, or Trickster Human Era. You're doing tough some good uh, good promotion there, Mark. 
Also, the video for Human Error. Did you ever see that? It got clips of news to us, you know, today and us from 30 yes, years ago. It's really that. got mm-hmm. some cool stuff. I think it was PJ did that. He did a really nice job. Real nice. Oh, job he put it together. That. He did the video. Nice. He did the video. It came out great. Came out great. Now, did you tour for that record? <sighs> now you're getting to the sensitive area. See, <laughs> it's like. You know, it's kind of funny when you do a show and you promote it on social media, you have the ramp up time that we're going to play the show and then you actually play the show. And then after the show, everybody posts the pictures from the night that you did the show. It looks like you played 10 shows when you really played one. So the impression that it gave off is that Trickster was on tour. I think we did 15 shows that year. That's it. Yes. Mm-hmm. At the, uh, yeah. So, you know, but we played. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you did some, right? And, and, and you know what? We made a fantastic record. Went out there, kicked some butt. I just would have liked to have kicked, you know, 10 times more butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was five years ago, right? 15? Where were you? Is that right? Yeah, I guess you're right. Shoot. Yeah, yeah five years ago. And now... I mean, as you know, I'm gonna. You, you probably assume I was gonna bring this up, but what's Go going on? With, what's going on with the band now? I've heard all kinds of stuff recently. And... You know, in the answer to the question, there is nothing going on in the band. Unfortunately, there's a lot of chat and a lot of. I think there's some. Well, what guess, happened in the band? Frustration. There's, there's, there's ill will towards each other. No, maybe that's not right. Ill will is honestly, we had, we had a falling out. Yeah, uh, it, 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 the band is basically two camps: the East Coast camp and the Arizona camp. And uh, you know, I guess, yeah, I think there's two schools of thought how things ought to be done, and you know, really having it, it turned it, it tur- a little thing turned into a big thing. Yeah, and you know, that's ultimately it. And I haven't talked to uh, PJ or Steve in three years. You know, I think Pete's checked out. He's uh, just done with it. Well, he's, uh, I, I, maybe a hundred percent. I don't know, but for the majority right now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's not going to change on anybody's part unless there's a strong desire in everyone to really do it. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, and even before we, while we were playing the desire thing was something, I think that was waning. I really do not in me necessarily, but amongst the band uh there i think there was more desire to do other projects maybe just at that time i don't know how the i I think that temperature needs to be taken at this point you know Mm -hmm. maybe to see but uh i i i don't believe that there is a strong desire to really make this happen i I really do not and i don't like to say that and again yeah that's not necessarily the way i feel but i am not the whole band i'm certainly you know what i mean uh it has to be a unified effort amongst everyone and at least if one guy wants to play a thousand shows a year and one guy wants to play two shows a year there has to be obviously some kind of commensuration between the two and at least something that everybody's happy doing together, mm-hmm. you know, and that's some basic elements that, you know, just really need to be sussed out mentally before uh, anybody commits to doing anything. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, is that desire there to do it? 
Uh, and I, I think that needs to be gauged. So I don't know where it's going to go from here. I really don't. Yeah. I, you know, everybody's off doing ancillary projects and uh, everyone's prioritizing something different at this point. But Yeah, uh, Steve and PJ, I know, are busy. PJ just had his solo album come out. Right, yeah, Steve's yeah, yeah. Steve's been dabbling in Def Leppard and has his, soul, his band's album out. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens, right? We'll see, man. We'll see. Well, I hope it works out for you guys. I hate to see bad things going around with bands that I like. You know, it happens. It's funny. It does, unfortunately. It really does. But, yeah, you know, here's the ultimate rock and roll. Well, here's the ultimate thing on a human level. If there's a desire to do something, there is no obstacle that can stop you from doing it. I truly believe that. So, I think that's a great test also. Because I'll tell you what, if Trickster comes back after this, it will be stronger than ever. Yeah, and that would be a damn beautiful thing, wouldn't it? One wouldn't thing I don't. Something? One thing I don't want to see. Not that I can control it, but yeah. I don't want to see you guys come back with without all four members. I hate. I'll when agree one hundred percent with you. I, you know what? When we put it back together in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, that is exactly what we said. We did not want to do it without all original members. Yeah. I think there truly is something very special about this band, and it supersedes musicianship. It, it's it's so far past that. It's it's yeah, I would, let's say if Alex Van Halen joined Trickster, it would be a completely different band. I guess that goes without saying, but <laughs> it would be a different band from a certain something special because there is something very special. When we put us four guys in a room. There's something special about that, you know. And yeah. that, there's that that comes through in the live performance, comes through in the in, in everything. And, uh, you know, it's not what the point I'm trying to make. It's not just musical technique. It's an intangible something that makes Trickster special. And I think people who love this band know that without saying a word. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. uh, So, yeah, it's uh, it's that's something special that needs to be preserved. That's 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 what's special about this. thing. Like like I said, hopefully, hopefully everything works out. You guys can talk it out and get on with it. And then, uh, yeah. Get back out there. Well, believe me, from your mouth to God's ears, my friend. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm certainly open to, to the conversation. Yeah. You know, just uh, tell me when to, you know, pack my bags and here we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. There's the invitation for them to give you a call. Talk well, it out. No, you know, it's more than that. <laughs> yeah. it, uh, you know, I, well, let me tell you something. I'm yeah. just as guilty as anybody because I haven't reached out to them. You know, I'm not yeah. gonna. I can't, I can't take the stance. Just give me a call. No, it's like you know. I it, it takes a commitment on everyone's part, and equally mine. I, I, you know, I cannot absolve myself from from that. Right. You know, I can't sit back and point fingers. No, certainly sure. not. You know, I, 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 I'm a man of action. I'm not gonna, you know, just. just oh, there you go. They didn't call. I can't. I can't take the position. Well, they didn't call me, man. Screw them. No, that's that's not. You know. <laughs> no, no, that's, and that's not what I was saying. You just. You're, yeah, I, I just want to be clear for come on, other Omar. people who. Like, I want to be clear for lesser <laughs> listeners. That's it. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. There are, there are many lesser listeners out there. <laughs> Let's. Uh, we'll, we'll get off that subject. But uh, what? What about what about Pete? I mean, he's been quiet. I mean, you don't hear much about Pete. What's he doing? I'll tell you, I, I slept at his house last weekend. He uh, he got a lot of, let me say, he has his own studio. He's okay. got a lot of things brewing. But they're simmering a long time, I'll say that. I push him. I go over there and say, like, come on, work on that song. What do you got? Let's do something. He's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> he does, does he, does he have a band or is he just writing? He did. He did for a while. He put out a record, uh, B of this time it was really good, you know, different stuff. Real sounded really good. Well-produced. And he, he's got some stuff. He's played some stuff for me more recently. 
crap's real good, man. Like, huh. Real good. It's got. I even uh, I play it on uh, one or two. So one in particular that I really liked, man. I think it's called Streets. Uh, fantastic song, and like the most unique chorus thing I've probably ever heard since the Police Don't Stand So Close to Me. Like I like some wild stuff, man. I don't know, hmm. but. Yeah. Again, that's his music. I, I can't tell him what to do with it. I don't know, but he's got some things cooking. So he still does, he still does work. I think he's got another some other projects he's working with as well, and we'll see what happens. But you know, it's uh, I don't think it's a priority for him right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, but yeah, I know he he's got a lot of stuff just sitting. Well, it's good to hear because, like I so said, I do have. If he wanted to pull the trigger and make a record, he could probably have it for you next Tuesday. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, what about you? Um, any bands? Anything else going on with you? Well, uh, we shall see. We shall see. I kind of put my stuff on hold after this. Uh, give it to me, good thing, because uh, I, I want to make a live video. I really do, and uh, I think that's going to be my next, next step. Now, I keep talking about it, but. People don't really understand what the hell they're going to see on the screen when it comes out. It will not be just your regular live video. It's really going to be something a little crazy. And I'm looking forward to really doing that. I think people, it'll wake some people up and it, 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 it probably will be the next step as to where I'm going to go. We'll see. I'm not hundred percent sure yet, but if it does happen, I swear to God, it's going to make an impact. It's going to be really cool. Well, I mean, you're going to make it happen. It's just a matter of time. That's it. That's it. So the t- well, only time will tell. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, we're going to have fun doing it. That's for sure. Got to have fun, man. Well, good. I'm looking forward to checking it out once you get it out there. Joe, I appreciate that. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the support. God bless you. No, Enjoy man. the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> you drink coffee, Mark? I really don't, to be honest with you. No? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I really don't. No. I, uh, I drink uh, unsweetened iced tea more than anything. Okay. Uh, green tea. Like when I go to Starbucks or friends, I get the green ice green tea. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Well, you see, sorry, bro. <laughs> I'm just being, I can't lie to you. No, no. Hey man, if you don't drink coffee, I'll just find you another $500. <laughs> How's that? Yeah. All right. All right. So that's 1500 Joe. Rock and I'll roll send you the bill. Show. All right, man. Is that tax deductible? <laughs> Um, can my can my accountant bury that somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll talk. Well, all right, so man. Well, listen. Me, I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I appreciate you coming on. And uh, you know, you got. Yeah, thank you. He's so quiet over there. <laughs> Nick, you still there, buddy? I guess not. He's probably watching a porno. Nah, you know what? Up. He he was having some technical issues. I bet. I bet it didn't even. I don't know what happened to him. I have to find out. <laughs> <laughs> he's going on youtube yeah um all right well listen mark if you got anything coming up and uh want to promote anything just let me know You're I can't tell you for anything for anything marcus scott it's marcusscott.com so you know i'll keep you abreast that's for sure yeah man all right well you take care be safe out there and uh joe thank you so much i really appreciate the time man thank you very much all right you have a good night bud you too pal bye bye that's all for this week Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast. Available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.